thinking about Miss Judy, I was thinking about looking back there and I see Henry and Shelby and I was thinking, you know, these kids are going to remember that their mom was singing in church one day. Oh, I used to listen to my mom sing in church and special, amen. What, what we do here, it is special. It really is. You know, on a week-to-week -week basis, and we were just talking about in men's prayer about Mrs. Kelly's having a tough time coming back and thinking about what happened in the parking lot and all that. And you think about all the times she came and all the, all the Sundays, amen. And Well, I'll tell you what, one day, heaven's going to be great. My goodness, if you, you don't think so, I don't know what book you're reading, amen, because <laughs> it really is. It's going to be wonderful. Here we have, I mentioned, one of the truly great accounts in the Bible. <clears throat> and that is, in particular, the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. You and I know him as the Apostle Paul. The writer of 14 books of the New Testament, if you include Hebrews, which some people do, some people don't. But half of the New Testament, Paul wrote, either way. He was the first missionary, went on three journeys, and perhaps the greatest Christian that the world has ever known. But he started out as a persecutor of Christians. We read that in verse <clears throat> number one and two, that Saul breathing out threatenings and slaughter. Slaughter. That's death. Amen? You know, I, I think of missionaries that we have who go to places where the penalty for Christianity is death. I think about there are missionaries that still go to North Korea under the threat of 30 years hard labor if you have a Bible. Now think about that in, in this instance here. You know what Saul was? We would call Saul, he, we would call him a hard case. He was a hard case. But I want to tell you something. God specializes in hard cases. There's no person too wicked. There's no person too evil. There's no person too hard-hearted. There's no person, hey, too far from God that God can't save. And Christian, there's no loved one that's refused God so many times that still can't be saved. He specializes in hard cases. Hey, remember when Sarah was 89 years old and he said, you're going to have a baby. And that's what she did. She laughed. He made a great quote. Genesis 18, 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? When God told a precious young virgin maiden named Mary that she was going to have a baby, <clears throat> Mary said in verse 34 of Luke 1, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? God's response was crystal clear. He said, the Holy Ghost is going to come upon you. The power of the highest is going to overshadow you. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. So here, God appears to this wicked Saul on the Damascus road. And he saves him. And if you look at verses 3 and 4, it says, And as he journeyed and came near to Damascus, suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth. 
and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? One of our instructors at Midwestern Baptist College was a man named Dr. Charles McNeely. Dear brother, love Dr. McNeely. Dr. McNeely had the unenviable position of taking care of the discipline committee of, of Midwestern Baptist College. That means you had to go see him when you got in trouble. Amen. And uh, Dr. McNeely, was, he was funny all that, but he was serious. And he said this about this passage. I remember hearing him say it. He said, nobody gets saved unless God gets their attention. You know, I'm all for simple salvation. I really am. But I agree with that statement wholeheartedly. Nobody gets saved unless God gets their attention. Nobody gets saved unless they know they need to be saved. Amen. And so when he gets divine instructions from God, he goes to Damascus. He's blind. And they, they lead him to Damascus. And he does not eat or drink for three days. And you know the story here. God tells a man named Ananias to go and put his hands on him. And Ananias says, hey, look. This is, this is the persecutor here, you know? And he says, you just do it. He's a chosen vessel. And then Saul is filled with the Holy Ghost. He receives his sight. He gets baptized. He spends a few days with the disciples there. He eats. And then he immediately begins his ministry. Verse 20, if you notice with me, his preaching. It says, in straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues. That what? That he is the Son of God. Can I tell you something? And I'm all for preaching. I'm, I'm thankful for every kind of preaching. I like the fact that Paul said that in Philippians. He said, I, even, he goes, I don't care if they preach Christ to add to my bonds, as long as they preach Christ. I, I'm for all kinds of preaching. But you know what? If I could say this, the best kind of preaching is that Jesus is the Son of God. That he's the Savior. He, he's the one, amen. He, he is he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by him. So there's his preaching. In verse 21, there's his past. It says, All that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem? And uh, it's so true. Paul, Paul did have a past. And you may, you may be here today, and you've got a past. I want to just tell you something. Here's, here's what I want to tell you about your past. It's in the past. If God be for us, who can be against us? Amen? And that's Romans 8 and 33. And uh, I thank God for the verse, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So his preaching, verse 20, his past, verse 21. I love this. In verse 22, we see his perplexing. Look at it there. It says, But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Jerusalem, proving that this is very... He, he confounded the Jews. People, again, we, we can kind of miss this. Paul was an outstanding, brilliant Jewish scholar. But these were not his words. These were the words of the filling of the Holy Ghost. God was giving him the words to say. God was recalling that and confounding these Jews. So his perplexity. By the way, I, I love, that's such an encouragement to me. Brother Keith, I think about where it says, For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. 
Not foolish preaching. Amen? But the foolishness of preaching. Letting God get in a message and work in people's hearts. So, his perplexing, his past, his preaching. Verse 23, we see his predicament. It says, And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. They said, we, we, can't, we can't resist his arguments. We need to get rid of him. Then we see his perception, and I love this in verse 24. But their laying away was known of Saul. So somehow, some way, really the providence of God, Saul found out, it came to his understanding, that they were waiting by every gate to kill him. And then we see his partners in verse 25. It says, Then the disciples, these disciples here, took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket. This account Paul recounted in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 when he talks about the many tribulations that befell him. And he says this, In Damascus, the governor under Artis, king of the city, this is 2 Corinthians 11, 32 and 33, of the Damascenes with a garrison desires to apprehend me, and through a window in a basket I was let down by the wall and escaped his hands. So these disciples, whoever they were, they helped Paul escape by holding a rope and lowering him down through the window of a house on a wall in Damascus. There are many great escapes in the Bible. It's, it's a good thought for a sermon series, actually. I think about Moses as a baby. Remember? Born when he shouldn't have been, should have been thrown in the river, and then yet the river was his salvation. Just it's an amazing story in that, that little ark. And then of course we think about Moses parting the Red Sea. That's a great escape story, isn't it? Pharaoh's army coming behind him. Then I think about I think about the spies in Jericho. Remember that story? How they hid on the roof, Rahab hid them, and uh, they escaped out of there. Hey, one of my favorite escape stories in the Bible is Samson. It wasn't really an escape. He grabbed the gates of the city and just carried them off as they were really trying to kill him. And then I think of Peter, probably the great New Testament escape, is when Peter was shut up in prison, remember, in Acts chapter 12? But prayer was made for him without ceasing, and the angel slapped him, said, get out of here. And all the guards were... And he walked right by him, amen. Knocked on the door where they were having their prayer meeting. And little Rhoda came to the door. And he said, Rhoda, let me in, it's Peter. And Rhoda went into the disciples as they were praying. They said, Peter's at the door. He said, quiet, we're praying for Peter's release. <laughs> oh, mercy. What great escape stories, amen, there are in the New Testament. What a... Look at this idea here in verse 25. And look at these disciples that held the rope and then just give us some applications here. 
First of all, they held the rope, number one, inconspicuously. Say, Pastor, that's a big word. What's it mean? <laughs> it means not discernible, not to be perceived by sight. See, we would call these, these people, these, these, we don't know how many disciples it was. By the way, we don't know if they were men or women, just whoever happened to be there. doesn't say. It just says they let Paul down the wall in the basket. So, they would be what we would call today behind-the-scenes Christians. They weren't interested in being out front. They, they weren't interested in being Paul. They were just interested in helping the cause of Christ. We don't know their names. We don't know anything about them. We don't know what they, where they came from. We don't know what they did for a living. We don't know whether they did great deeds in their Christian life after this or not. What we do know is they held the rope for Paul without a thought of reward so that the gospel could go forward. You know, there's a lot of people like that right here at Loomis Park Baptist Church that are just holding the rope. They don't need to be in charge. Matter of fact, they kind of shrink from it. I wish. I, let me tell you this. I love our Saturdays. I know the, the, the fellows are, are in jail tonight preaching, Brother Mike and Brother Cole. But I love Saturdays and Brother Boston. Is I just, you know what? I'm not in charge. I'm just standing in my spot. I got my Bible and I'm waving at people. And, and just, just, being, just, just being a part of the gospel going forward. Oh, that's such an awesome thing. So they did it inconspicuously. You know what else they did it? They did it gallantly. They did it gallantly. They held the rope in Paul's darkest hour to date. Listen, have any of you had people waiting outside of every city gate to kill you? I don't think so. There was no way out here for Paul. Paul's darkest hour when everyone else was resting. Because when did they did it? They did it by night. They did it despite the danger of being caught. They did it with no concern for themselves. They said, look, we've we got to get Paul out of here. So they did it inconspicuously. They did it gallantly. I think something else, they did it. They did it optimistically. They held the rope not knowing the future. They held the rope not knowing there were 14 books of the New Testament in that basket. They didn't know that. They held the rope not knowing all the great things, all the people that Paul would win to Christ. They held the rope. They were just content to serve the Lord where they were, and they were optimistic that God would bless their efforts. And all God's people said. Amen. <laughs> they held the rope optimistically and gallantly and inconspicuously. You know what? They held the rope, thankfully, patiently. They held the rope until the task was done. I'm sure Paul was happy about that. They held the rope until Paul was safely at the bottom. Hey, can I put it to you this way, Christians? They didn't lower him halfway down and say, I'm tired. 
I'm bored. Why do I have to hold the rope? I want to be in the basket. They just held the rope till the task was done. What's our job? Our job is to simply hold the rope till the task is done. Or God moves us away or calls us home. Let me give you four reasons why I think we need to hold the rope tonight. And every Christian in this church is a rope holder in some way or another. Just by your presence, just by being faithful, just by being in your place, by supporting this ministry, by supporting missionaries all over the world, amen, you're a rope holder. And I want to tell you something. Number one, no matter who you are in this church, number one, there's a child who looks up to you. I think about how I have watched my children. You know, I have two boys now that are in the teen group. And I know there's much prayer for Carrie and I in regards to having two teenagers. Some of you had two, three, four teenagers and you survived it, which is miraculous, amen. But I have watched my kids grow up in this church. My kids have grown up in this church. Some of you have little ones. They are growing up in this church. I want to tell you something about children. They look up to adults. They look up to their Sunday school teacher. They look up to their bus worker. They look up to that greeter that always seems to have a handshake and a piece of candy from Cavity Baptist Church. <laughs> See, the Bible says in Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. And again, we know that's a great verse for parents raising children, but can I submit to you that while you may not be a parent, you do have a part in training the children of this church. See, a young person that comes into church, and some of you, they think you're the greatest thing there is. I realize that as they get a little older, forgive me, their vision gets a little better. <laughs> but I want to tell you something. I tell my boys to tell you this, even when they were little, I would point to laymen in our church and say, that's a great man of God right there. Boy, that's a faithful, that's a faithful lady right there. Amen. I think about people who stop holding the rope of their Sunday school class or visitation or choir or just Sunday morning smiles. And it would break the little heart of that child if you did. That's why you should be very careful how you treat children. And I would say this, you have to be very careful about the kids who come in on our bus. You may, you may be the difference in their life of a life of a successful Christian life or the opposite. They don't need to be yelled at. They need to be encouraged. Hey, listen, we know we're, they're going to they're gonna make a mess. That's okay. By the way, your kids do too. Yeah. And your grandkids. I know you think they're little angels, but really they're fallen angels. Amen. Yeah. Hold the rope. Why? Because there's a child who looks up to you. Great poem by Lee Fisher. It says, 
The careful man I want to be, a little fellow follows me. I do not dare to go astray for fear he'll go the self-same way. I cannot once escape his eyes, whatever he sees me do, he tries. <clears throat> like me, he says, he's going to be that little chap who follows me. He thinks that I'm good and fine, believes in every word of mine. The base in me he must not see, the little chap who follows me. I must remember as I go through summer sun and winter snow, I am building for the years to be the little chap who follows me. John Wooden, the great coach of UCLA, winner of 10 national championships, said, everyone is a teacher to someone. It's very true. Hold the rope. Why? Because there's a child who looks up to you. Secondly, not only hold the rope because there's a child who looks up to you, hold the rope because there's a Christian who depends on you. You know how you hold the rope? You hold the rope here by being a servant. I appreciate, so we have so many servants in our church. I'll mention, I'll mention a few. Please, if I leave your name out, don't get mad at me, amen? I think of Brother Darren Stark. Brother Darren's a servant. He's one of our deacons, amen? But he, he just... He's always looking to be an encouragement to somebody, be a blessing to somebody. I think of Mrs. Boston. Mrs. Boston, for all the years we've worked together, she's just a servant. She just wants to be a blessing. I think of Mr. Curry. Mr. Curry is the first one here, and that's including staff, and the last one to leave because he drives people home on the bus, and I try to make my kids get the gates. But I know this, Brother Jim, if I forget them, Mr. Carrillo, make sure they're closed. Because he's a servant. See, that's how you hold the rope by just being a servant. Don't need to be served. Be a servant. You know something else you hold the rope and it's just, the Bible says this. I, I post this on social media all the time. I know I must feel like a broken record. Sound like a broken record. I feel like one sometimes. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. I mentioned in men's prayer, God help anyone who skips church for the Super Bowl. I like sports. I do. I can go, I can remember the first Super Bowl I can remember. I was eight years old. The Rams were playing the Steelers in 1980. I remember that. Like it was yesterday, Brother Jim. And I remember all these Super Bowls, but... In the end, when I stand before God, it's not going to matter how many Super Bowls I remember. What happens here in this place and in countless churches like this is way more important than some football game. Be faithful to church. That's a way you can hold it up. Brother Dwayne, thank you for being faithful. Brother Dwayne never misses. He's just in his spot. And you got to walk over to him to shake his hand. He's not coming to you, amen? <laughs> he gave me Spock socks yesterday. Can you believe that? I got Cheez-It socks on today, amen? T.J. Jones gave me those, amen? I've, I'm telling you, I've got socks for the rest of my life. Roberto Dwayne, just faithful. Thank you. Thank you for being in your place. And by the way, again, many of you, I think of, let me see Bryce and Jordan back there on... Kid patrol, amen. <laughs> Thank you for being faithful. Thank you. That's a way you hold the rope.
Little, little girls see Miss Jordan and look up to her. Young men look up to Brother Bryce. I know my boys love Brother Bryce. Listen, there's a Christian who depends on you just being in your place, doing right. And by the way, when you're not... I, uh, the bar, I got that note from the Bartels today. I said, man, we've been missing you guys. And they said, we're so sorry. We've had so much sickness. And I know it's going around. Amen. But just be faithful. Be a servant. See, you know, I, I think about things that we could say. And, and I think about in the last few years of precious, faithful servants that we've lost. And we need somebody to fill in the gap, to make up the hedge. Listen, there's no replacing, and, and those of you that know these people will know these names, there's no replacing Will McGee. There's no replacing Bill Horsch. There's no replacing Fred Cassable. There's no replacing Dave Williams. There's no replacing Joe Kelly. And, and I can go on and on. But here's what we need. We, we need people to say about you, well, you know that no matter what, brother so-and-so will be there. Or some, someone will say, well, they're there for every service. Boy, are they faithful. They always encourage me. They're friendly to me. They shake my hand. There's a Christian who depends on you to be a servant, to be faithful to church. And then you know what else? There's a Christian who depends on you to be loving. I am so blessed by the way, our, uh, the way our church treats guests. No matter what they look like, no matter what they smell like. Huh? I am so blessed by that. Because as a pastor, you want that to be uh, what we would call organic, to be from the heart, just how we do things, amen? You can't force that as a pastor. You just can't do it. But when you see it taking place right before your eyes, and you know what Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you have love one to another. There's a Christian who depends on you. Hold the rope. Stay in your place. Be where you're supposed to be. Be loving. Be a servant. There's a child who looks up to you. There's a Christian who depends on you. When I think about this, there's a sinner who's waiting for you. Huh? There's a sinner who's waiting for you. You know, Psalm 142, verse 4, I call it the heart cry of the lost. It says, I looked on my right hand and beheld that there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. Hold the rope. Because there's a lost person who you need to win. Strangers, yes, they're there waiting for you. Hold the rope. Family members, yes. What would a lost family member think of your God if you just quit on church and said, you know what, forget it. I've had it with this. I'll tell you what they'd say. They'd say, I knew it. I knew it wasn't real. I knew it wouldn't last. I knew it was a phase. Hold the rope because there's a sinner waiting for you that needs Christ. 
And he needs you to bring him to him. And then, lastly, there's a child who looks up to you. There's a Christian who depends on you. There's a sinner who's waiting for you. And I'm so glad for this. There's a God who rewards you. There's a God who rewards you. 2 John 8 says, Look to yourselves that ye lose not those things which ye have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. See, the implication is that those who do not finish right, or for, we can put it this way in our illustration tonight, those who walk away from the rope, and by the way, I didn't even talk about that. When you walk away from the rope, it puts pressure on everybody else. Think of this. If there was five people holding that rope and they had Paul going down in the basket and one of them quit, that means everybody else has to do that guy's job and their job too. But the implication in this verse is those who do not finish right do not get a full reward for their labor. By the way, that's also confirmed in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. You know, thank the Lord, salvation's free, and all God's people said. But rewards are earned. The race isn't finished yet. Reward day is coming. For God is not unrighteous to forget your labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name. There's a God who rewards you. Several years ago, I became convicted through a devotional that we need to set aside one Wednesday a month to pray for our missionaries. We always pray for our missionaries on Wednesday nights. I'll, you, you may, if you've been part of our regular Bible study and prayer meeting, you'll know you'll hear me as we take the request. I'll say, I need four volunteers for our four groups of missionaries. We have 63 missionaries, amen? And I'll ask, okay, you take group one, you take group two. But how that came to be was, years ago I read this devotional, and I want, I want to read it to you in its entirety. And it has to do with holding the rope. Jonathan Goforth told a touching story about a young couple who were saying farewell to their friends in their home church before going to Africa as missionaries. At that time, that particular portion of Africa was called the white man's grave. The husband said, Humanly speaking, we have a strange dread in going. We feel as if we were going down in a pit. Christ's love constrains us, however, and God's grace will sustain us. By the way, that's the kind of missionary you want to support right there. As we go forth as your missionaries, now think about this. We will expect you 
to hold the rope. He meant in prayer, financially, it's the way the church can hold the rope for the missionary. Amen? Less than two years later, his wife and little one had succumbed to the dreaded African fever. Both died in the service of the Lord. After their death, the husband faithfully carried on alone. In time, he was stricken with the dreaded fever too. Enfeebled and emaciated, he returned home to America to die. One Wednesday evening, he slipped unnoticed into the prayer service of his home church. Many prayed, but none prayed for their missionaries far away. At the close of the service, he went forward and spoke to the people. I am your missionary. My wife and child are buried in African graves, and I have come home to die. I am deeply distressed tonight by your failure to pray for your missionaries. Not intentional, perhaps. Did you fail to hold the rope for us? Did you fail to pray for us? Would it have been different with us if you had prayed for us? Ladies and gentlemen, we are too close to the end to let go of the rope. And for some of you, it's time to get off the sidelines and get to the rope and make it a little easier for everyone else who's holding the rope. Hold the rope. Why? Because there's a child who looks up to you. Hold the rope. Why? There's a Christian who depends on you. Hold the rope. Why? There's a sinner who's waiting for you. Hold the rope. Why? There's a God who rewards you. How do we hold the rope? We hold it inconspicuously. We don't need any glory. We just do our job for the Lord. We hold it gallantly. We hold it optimistically. We hold it patiently. We just hold the rope until God calls us home. Let's be faithful, church. Let's be faithful. Lord, we love you.